0: Baptist Church, and one of our mission agencies we work closely with is North American Mission Board. They're responsible for church planting and disaster relief and a lot of things like that in the United States and uh, Canada, uh, including Puerto Rico. So each week we're watching a video. Most weeks we're watching a video. This was LA, uh, and uh, kind of profiling, here's what's going on in this city. And getting in the forefront of your mind a couple of things. First of all, some of our giving goes towards that, so that's important to know. Something that you give, part of what you give every Sunday, is going to church planting in the United States and Canada, so, so some small part of that is subdivided across the whole United States. So it's probably, you know, not a, not a lot, but when all the churches put it together, it is a great deal of, of money and a great deal of resources. Uh, so we're helping start churches in L.A. today. Uh, a couple hours earlier, so they're probably setting up right now. So when you think about that uh, this morning and throughout the week and in the weeks to come, uh, be in prayer for church planters and pastors and people who are working uh, in all of the cities we're talking about, but especially today. Why don't we pray? It's only 8, what is it? 1030, so it's only 830 in LA. Uh, Let's pray. There's probably some guys setting up right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for the men and women who are are at work in L.A. right now, some of them have probably been up since very early, Uh, packing trailers, unpacking trailers, setting up, uh, preparing for adults and children and babies, Uh, Lord, preparing maybe for baptisms, preparing for a wide variety of things, to sing, to worship, uh, to pray, to speak, to teach. Heavenly Father, we just want to lift them up to you today as you have reminded us about them. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we can take part uh, in what they're doing uh, with our giving, but Lord, we also thank you that we can take part in what they are doing through our prayer. So, Lord, we lift them up to you today, and we ask that you work in them and through them to share and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, among uh, the city of angels. Lord, we thank you for uh, our brothers and sisters who are there serving today, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that they would have a great day in the Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. First Peter, First Peter. Uh, page 589 in your Pew Bible. We're only going to read one verse today. <laughs> uh, this was a longer message, and I got partway through the week, and Jordan wrote, and he said, I need the slides. And I sent him some slides, and then I wrote him back like a half hour later, and I said, Cut that in half, it's too long. Uh, it happens, it happens. So we're only going to read one verse today uh, uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 8, and it says this Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart. In a humble mind, this is our idea uh, that we're looking at as we go through this message. uh, That it uh, it calls us to be courageous uh, in the pages of First Peter, uh, because of the world we live in, because of the change in culture. Uh, One of the things I hope that you have realized as we've read and as we've talked is that while it seems like things are really bad for us now, things were really bad then. For the Christians, uh, the culture uh, has changed. The governments have changed. The issues have changed. Um, but that that dynamic of Christianity versus culture is is the same. The God's calling us to be courageous as Christians in the face of what our culture says is good and is right uh, and are, are the things that we should be doing. So as we talk about this today, we're talking about reflecting. The heart of God, and I've got a question for you. How many of you have realized that your children are like reflections of you? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, some people put your hands. You don't even have kids. What are you talking about? (laughs) Have you guys realized this? Your children are reflections of you. The good, (laughs) sorry, the bad, the ugly. Right? It's true. Have you ever? uh, Your your kids did something, and you looked at your spouse and you said, where in the world did they learn that? And your spouse looked back at you and said, well, they learned that from watching you, right? Small humans reflect their adult humans, especially up in the first you know, five, you uh, eight, nine, 10 years in that, in that age range. Children reflect their parents, the way they talk, the way they walk, the way they do things. Uh, it's cute when they're young. <laughs> it's cute to have a mini me running around. When you get older and they get older and they're still doing the things that you do, you're maybe like, oh, why did I reflect that to them? Why did they learn that from me? How did, how did I end up teaching them that? And what I want you to understand today is that works on a spiritual level as well as on a physical, biological level. Like Little humans <laughs> reflect their adult parent humans. Spiritual people reflect their father or they don't reflect the father. I mean, we're all reflecting something, right? If we have no connection to God, we have no uh, frame of reference to even understand him or talk to him or know him, hear what his teachings are, find out how, it, how you can be transformed through Christ to be an, a new creation, and begin to reflect something new, then we're reflecting something else for sure. It may be the ways of the world, it may be our parents, it may be our friends, it may be good influence, it may be bad influence. We're going to reflect something. This passage today, I, I, I've entitled this message, and, and I think this passage talks about how we can reflect the heart of God. So we're going to go through these five points and, and talk about them just briefly on each one and discover how these different characteristics challenge us to reflect the heart of God. So let's take a look at the first one. It, it, I'm going to read it from the beginning. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Unity of mind, that's having uh, the same goal, the same uh, Savior, the same uh, understanding of who we are in Christ, that we're, we're going the same direction. This can function as the church universal, all Christians understanding who God is and following Him, it can function in a, fa- in, in a unit as small as a family, and it can function in a local church. Uh, you'll find in Scripture over and over and over again teaching about unity and how unity reflects the heart of God. Let's take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians as we kind of unpack this, see what Paul has to say about it. 1 Corinthians 10, it's on page 557 in your pew Bibles. We're going to read uh, chapter 10, verses 10 through 17, and see what it says about unity. And apparently I've written that down incorrectly in my Bible. But I'm going to read it out of my notes. (laughs) And you can read it off the screen. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Listen to what Paul says. What I mean is this. One says I follow Paul. Another says I follow Apollos. Another says I follow Cephas. Still, another says I follow Christ. Here's the question. Is Christ divided? Rhetorical question, right? The answer is no. Christ is not divided. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas, but but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody else. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Is Christ divided? No. Is God divided? Is he divided in his thinking? Is he divided in his the way he created? Is he is he divided in the way that he leads us, the way that he talks to us, the way that he communicates us? Paul says no. But if you back up to verse twelve, the human nature is this: one says, "I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas." Another, "I follow Christ." You ever been to a church like that? I follow Sean. I follow Daniel. I follow Alicia. I follow whoever. And there becomes factions in the church. And there become little gossip groups in the church. This can happen locally. It can happen uh, uh, even, even beyond that with different churches in a, in a town or in a place where different churches are following different directions or different people or, or even different denominations, right? Some of this is happening right in front of us. Paul is saying we follow Christ and we follow Christ alone. Having unity of mind is understanding our position in God. Who are we in Christ? We are His creation. We are created to follow Him, to love Him, to honor Him, and to bring Him glory. That's our, that's our goal. That's the answer to the question, why was God? Why did God create man? God created man to bring Him glory. That's our role. That's, that's what we are supposed to do day in and day out. We are supposed to have a unity of mind, that reflects the heart of God because Christ is not divided. If God's not divided. If Christ's not divided, he doesn't want us to be divided either. He wants us to have unity. That's one of the most important things you read in Scripture uh, in the New Testament. It talks about over and over and over again that you will recognize the, the, the people that are, are called mine. God says you will recognize my people because of their unity, because of their love, because of their undivided nature. Let's move on to the next one. Sympathy. Okay, so reading our verse, it says, finally all of you have unity of mind and sympathy. How does sympathy reflect the heart of God? Sympathy is one of those words. We may have uh, different ideas of what it means. So let's take a look at a couple of uh, definitions. The first one I have up here, sympathy, says feelings of pity and sorrow for someone. Uh, For someone, someone else's misfortune, uh, having an understanding between people or sharing common feelings. Sympathy, in, in our minds, when we think of being sympathetic, we think it's feeling sorry for somebody, basically. That's what we think of. So, so is, is the author of 1 Peter saying, have a united mind and feel sorry for one another? I don't think that's what he's saying. <laughs> I don't think that's what he's saying at all. Okay, so let's take a look at another idea, because the word compassion... And sympathy, they're like kissing cousins. They're very close in what they mean and their understanding as words. Compassion means, and it has the word sympathy in it, interesting. Sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of other. Let's take a look at it from a spiritual perspective. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4, it's page 561 in your pew Bible. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. That's one of his roles, one of his names, one of his characteristics. He's the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So if we go back to this verse and we read that uh, all of us should have unity of mind and sympathy, we can read that or understand that as compassion. We should all have compassion for one another. We're not very compassionate culture, are we? You don't have to go very far uh, in, in social media, in the news, in the newspaper. Anybody read the newspaper? I, I get, didn't used to, but since we moved to Chicago, I thought we ought to start reading the newspaper. So we have a digital subscription to the Chicago Tribune, and then we read it most every day. Just kind of, it's nice because it's digital, you can go through it real fast. <laughs> we are not a very compassionate people. I just don't don't think it's in human nature to be sympathetic and compassionate, that when something happens, uh, I think one of the first things we should ask, and Lydia and I have been talking about this in the last week or two, one of the first things you should ask when something happens to somebody else or something's going on, we should be asking the question, or, or at least considering, what's going on in their life that might be causing them to act or respond or behave in this way? Because we're so often quick to judge. We're so often quick to just, okay, that's how that person is. They're that way. Without considering, why did they act? Maybe something is happening in their life. Maybe they're having uh, a marital issue. Maybe they're having problems with their kids. Maybe they're having problems at work. Maybe they're having problems at home. Maybe they have health problems. We don't know. All of those things can cause different behaviors in a person, can't they? Uh, Maybe they're just stressed out by life. (laughs) anybody stressed out my life (laughs) not who said not me not me no you know this world moves a lot faster than when I was in high school when I was in junior high when I was in elementary school of course I grew up in other places it's interesting the Wednesday night group uh that's meeting I asked everybody this week who's from Chicago or grew up in Chicago everybody I'm like the only one I'm like the only I'm like and I feel like an outsider I'm like I'm the outsider Yeah, Daniel's like, yep, don't forget it. (laughs) We lived in Montana for eight years. It was slow there. It was slower. We lived in Poland for seven years before that. It was really slow there. And we lived a little more rurally. It was nice. Uh, I love the city. I love the energy. I love the, and, and some of you are from here and live here, and you're like, why would you love this place? I love this place. It's great. It's where the Lord's called us. It's where he's given us a heart for. But it moves fast, have you noticed when, the, when it's cloudy? It was cloudy for what, like seven or eight or nine days in a row. Every day that it was cloudy, people honked more. It was like seven days they were honking, eight days honking more, nine days honking more, and then the sun came out and I didn't hear a horn. Did anybody else have that experience? The sun came out for two days, I didn't hear any horns for like two days. And then it got cloudy again and then like everybody's honking. You stop because somebody's crossing in the crosswalk, you're gonna turn right, there's somebody crossing, everybody behind you like, go run them over. It's crazy because we don't have any compassion. (laughs) We don't consider what's going on. I mean, and that's just like a microcosm, right? We don't even ask the question. I wonder, maybe that person is stopped for a good reason. They could be on their phone, but maybe there's somebody crossing in the crosswalk. We don't have compassion. We don't try to think about what the other person might be suffering. And, and, And Paul says that God our Father, our Lord who created us and is is reforming us in His image if we are in Christ is a God whose name is Father of Compassion if anybody in the world should have compassion it should be people who are reflecting the heart of God people who are trying to emulate their Father people who are trying to live like their Father The next thing he says is brotherly love. So let's read this from the beginning. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, and brotherly love. Anybody have brothers and sisters? I love the term brotherly love. I don't have any siblings. So for me, it's like this romantic idea, like having a sibling to love. I know, everybody's laughing, right? And then they love me, and it's, I don't, I think there's a disconnect when we read the term brotherly love. Some of you have brothers and sisters uh, who are difficult, to love, right? Or maybe they find you difficult to love. And we have this idea of brotherly love, and we think, well, the way <laughs> the brotherly love I share with my brother is probably not the kind of brotherly love we're talking about in Scripture. First Peter 1, if we go back to the beginning, uh, uh, this will be like seven or eight or nine weeks ago. First Peter 1, 22, the author says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, Love one another deeply and from the heart. That's a let's say like, it's like a like a command, it's like a directive. The author of first Peter is saying, Love one another, how? Deeply and from the heart. Like family. I have married into family, and so I understand, I've seen, and I've watched, and I've tried to experience, I've seen the clashes, but the love. And so I, I understand a little bit of what that's like to have somebody you clash with. But boy, if, if, if somebody from the outside comes at us, you're going to have to take on the whole family. We may have our issues internally, <laughs> but that brotherly love holds us together in a very tight bond. First John four nineteen says this. We love because he, that's God, first loved us. You see, that's a that's. That's something that that, that the Spirit of God does in us as we grow in Him. He empowers us to love when love is difficult. He empowers us to love when love is difficult. He empowers us to have compassion when compassion is difficult. He gives that to us. That's something He builds up in us. Romans 12, 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. But He doesn't leave it hanging because He says this, outdo one another in showing honor outdo one another in showing honor. This idea of having brotherly love is the idea that no matter what happens, if we talk about it as a church, no matter what happens between us and relationship in this place, we have each other's back. We have each other's best at heart because that reflects the heart of God if somebody has an issue with me or I have, somebody, uh, I have an issue with somebody else, I don't go to a third party and say, oh, you know, I have a, uh, Daniel. Daniel doesn't go to somebody else and say, Sean, Daniel and Sean talk to each other. We say, I have a problem with you or you have a problem with me and we talk it out. We don't let, we don't let problems between brothers or between sisters or between a brother and a sister, we don't let those problems permeate the body and poison it. We deal with things appropriately. We talk them out. We, we pray over them, and we ask, and we, we extend forgiveness to one another because we love each other with a brotherly affection, and we outdo. Do you, do you practice that? Do you practice outdoing one another in showing honor? And we talked last week about uh, husbands and wives, and respect, and it, it was a really great message. If you didn't get to listen to it, go back online, listen to that. But we talked about showing respect and honor to one another, and again, we're getting it this week. Paul is reminding us in Romans to outdo one another. We think in uh, in, in Christian circles, in the Christian life, we're supposed to you know let other people outdo, right? They they need to they need to outdo. I'm going to just kind of sit back. But he's saying, no, you be the one to outdo. Somebody else needs to serve me, but I need to serve them instead. He's reminding us and he's telling us, look, uh, it, it doesn't rely on what the other person does. Remember we talked about that last week as husbands and wives. We don't wait for the other person to act a certain way or respond a certain way before we reciprocate. We outdo first. We honor first. We love first we respect first. So again, as as we, pass, as we pass through this passage and we talk about it it, it, it builds on the ideas that we talked about in how to deal with government, how to deal with people that we work for, how to, how to deal with husbands and wives in those relationships. It, this, is, this is continuing to build on these ideas. And the next thing he says is, have a tender heart. I'm going to read that from the beginning. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart. Who has a tender heart? Anybody? There's probably some here. There's a couple. There's always a few. A few tender hearts. Who wants to have a tender heart? (laughs) Who thinks tender hearts are for wimps? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple. (laughs) Tender hearted. How does a tender heart reflect the heart of God? Remember the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son took advantage of the father and the brother in leaving, right? He took his inheritance, he left, he squandered it, he spent it, he came back. Now, the, the brotherly love between the older brother and the other younger brother when he returned is another story. We to talk about that another time. But I want you to remember when he finally hit bottom, that son came up with a plan. Do you guys remember the plan? I'll go back to my dad And I'll say, I know I can never be your son again. I can never be accepted as a son because I've squandered my inheritance. I've broken the the bond of the relationship that we have as father and son. I'm no longer worthy to be called son. Instead, make me as a servant. You remember this? Make me as a servant, and, and I will serve you. But, man, I need to get out of this situation I'm in because I'm hungry. I'm destitute. I have nothing to eat, nowhere to go. I'm going to die out here on my own. So I have this plan. I'm going to go back and ask my dad just to make me a servant because the servants in my dad, he takes care of those people better than, than what I have now because I'm like eating slop that, that the pigs are eating, and it's not very good. So he goes back. Do you remember the picture? He's coming down the road to the home, and the father has been waiting. I don't know if he sat out there every day, all day, or just certain hours of certain days, or every evening, or what. I I don't know. It doesn't say. But the father was waiting, and he saw the son coming. Do you guys remember what the father did? What did it say? He ran to him. That is a father with a tender heart. He ran to the son, and he said, I've been waiting for you to come back. I've been waiting for you to return. And the son's like, I'm, you know, he, he has his, you ever done that? You're in trouble and you memorize kids. Some of you are probably closer to this and maybe some adults you do this with your spouse. I don't know. Something's happened. You did something wrong. So you memorize this little spiel. Okay. When we get together, here's what I'm going to say. He had this little, he was ready. He, the whole way he was walking back home, he was going over and over in his head. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. So he's ready. And he was like, Dad, I'm sorry. You know, uh, I know you can't accept me back as a son, but maybe if you could just make me a servant so that I could eat and not die, that'd be great. Dad cut him off. He's like, w- what? You're my son. And you'll always be my son. Go get a, go get a ring for his finger. Go get him some clothes. Uh, in fact, go get the, the best, that, that calf we were saving for the party, go get that calf. Get that calf ready for dinner. We're going to party because my son who was lost has returned. That's a, that's a father with a tender heart. He was tender hearted towards somebody who had wronged him. And how much wrong had that son committed? He had prematurely asked for part of his inheritance, which would have probably meant the father had to reduce the size of his current holdings. Maybe he had a farm or a ranch or some kind of property to... to to liquidate. He may have had to liquidate some of that. Maybe he had a thousand acres was the second son, so his inheritance was smaller. Maybe he had to liquidate like a quarter or a third of that property and holdings and cattle. He may have had to fire some servants. We don't don't know. I mean, the Bible doesn't say, but think about it that way. He would have had to liquidate some of his holdings in order to give his son that money, which the son took and then squandered. Any of you would be real happy <laughs> if your kids did that? I'm sorry, we had, to, we had to sell our house. We had to downsize. We moved into an apartment. We gave them some money. They left. They squandered. They came back in six months, and now they want, you know. Would you be like, yeah, come back in. I, you, you kill the calf. <laughs> Put a ring on. Get some new clothes. Let's go shopping. We'll get you some new clothes. This father had a tender heart, And it's hard to overestimate. And this is a parable, uh, so it's just a story that Jesus, who is God, made up in his mind to tell a spiritual principle. And one of the spiritual principles he's trying to get across here is that our Father God in heaven has a tremendous power to love and forgive us because all of us are that prodigal son. We've all slapped God in the face at one time or another. Adam and Eve did the same thing when they said, will be God. We'll decide. You, oh, don't eat, don't eat from the tree? Okay, well, guess what? I want to have the power to know, so I'm going to eat from that tree so that I know what God knows and I see what God sees so that I can chart the course of my own life, and that's kind of the culture we're stuck in, right? The culture that we live in. They want us to chart the course of our own life. It doesn't matter what God or anybody else thinks. And that connects this to this last idea because the the we the God we serve, the God we know, the God we love has a tender heart, but he also reflects this idea of a humble mind. Genesis 3, 5. Actually, I want to let's look at the, the the definition of humble real quick. It says having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. Adam and Eve didn't have that. <laughs> right? They didn't have a humble or low. Uh, uh, idea of who they were. The, the, the serpent in Genesis 3-5, I think this is going to be up here, it says, God knows when you eat that fruit from the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. How intoxicating. If, you mean if I eat that fruit from that tree, I'll be like God? I'll, I'll know good and evil? I'll understand that oh I want to be like God. God gave him this beautiful place, this perfect place, and he said, Everything is for your enjoyment. Steward the land. Care for the animals. Don't you don't even have to kill the animals to eat. I'll provide all the food you need and all the plants and all the trees and everything in the garden except for this one. Don't eat this one. Everything else is yours to steward and to enjoy and to love. And you and I can be there and we can have a relationship. And they said, You know what? It's too intoxicating an idea that I can chart my own course. If all I do is eat this, I'll know what God knows. I want to be like God. I want to decide where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. So they ate. That is the opposite of having a humble mind. (laughs) That is the opposite. God knows, Satan said, uh, through the serpent, when you eat from the apple or the fruit or whatever it was, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Romans 12, 3, it says, For by the grace given me, this is Paul again, he says, I say to each one of you, every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment and according to the faith God has distributed to each of you. He's called us to have a a humble mind, not haughty, not puffed up, not prideful, not, 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 pushing ourselves down or making ourselves into nothing or or degrading ourselves. It's not that at all. But this, this connects to everything we've talked about so far. It connects to the idea of outdoing one another with respect and honor. When we think too highly of ourselves, husbands and wives, we have trouble in the marriage. When we think too highly of ourselves, citizens, we have trouble with our governments. When we think too highly of ourselves, Christ followers, we have problems reflecting the heart of God. When that's the thing that He's called us to be, that, that, that He's designed us to be, little mini reflections of Christ. In fact, it's, it's part of our name. That's what the word Christian means, little Christ. Each of you who have denied your own will turned from your sin and repented and asked God to forgive, and you've followed Him, and you've asked Him to save you, and He has lifted you up, and He has saved you, you are now little Christs. Do you have it all together, or is everything perfect? No. Uh, scripture says uh, in several places that God is perfecting you. He's building you into the image of Christ. He, 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 you're, a, you're a work under construction. All of us are. It's like a remodeling, He's taking out and chiseling away all the old garbage, and he's replacing it with these things. Humility, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and and, and other things. Can you guys think of some other categories? Like the fruit of the Spirit, love. He's replacing it with joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are things he's building into your life. There's a time and a point and a place where you give your life to Christ and you ask him to save you and he saves you but Paul also says that there's a process by which you work out your salvation and that's the process by which God continually works in you to perfect you. Don't you wish that that would happen faster? I think one of the reasons it doesn't happen faster is because if we were honest with ourselves, we're working against God in a lot of ways. Now, here's where this all boils down, because I worry sometimes we read a passage like this in the Bible, and we get the idea, now I have to manufacture this. Because I'm a Christ follower, I have to manufacture these things. I have to somehow find in me unity of mind and and the power to be sympathetic or compassionate, the power to have brotherly love, a tender heart, or to be humble. I have to manufacture. Anybody ever fallen into that boat in, in, in your Christian walk? Because the Bible says a lot of things about how we should look, act, think, feel, relate to one another. Do we have to manufacture those things? Or is that something that God does in us and with us? If we were just to offer ourselves to Him. See, we're talking about having a, a God whose heart reflects these things But we have to be able to give God our life, our heart, our everything before He can do anything with it. And sometimes we want to hold back. I'll give you some, God. I'll give you 90%. I'm going to hold on to this a little bit. So I'm going to challenge you today that in order to have this kind of heart, the the appropriate response is... To a God whose heart reflects these things is to offer our heart and our very lives to Him. Maybe you've done that before. Some of you have been Christ followers—two, five, ten, twenty, thirty, fifty, longer, any longer's. There's some longer's in here. I won't, I won't, I won't name any numbers because people know how old you guys are. Eighty, ninety. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just <laughs> a long time. There was this guy in Montana. How long did Milo? He was. Like 80 years, he'd been a Christ follower. God was continuing to work on him as he will continue to work on us. We have to, there's so many things I could say right now. (laughs) But I want to focus on the, the thing that this passage, I think, leads us to do. And that is to offer ourselves again anew to Christ that in us, he will produce these things, a humble mind, a tender heart, brotherly love, that will learn to show respect and honor to one another. And so today, I'm going to pray in just a moment. And what I want you to do, uh, actually, I'm going to be silent for a few minutes. Then we're going to pray. Then we're going to do the offering. Then we're going to have some more time of worship. But before the Father, whether or not you've ever come to the place Maybe you've been, like I said, a Christ follower of 5, 10, 20, 30 years again. Go to the Father again and say, Lord God, I'm going to offer it all to you anew. Here's my heart. Here's my life. Here's my everything. Take it and use it to your glory. Maybe you've never done that today, and you're like, well, today's the day. Today's the day I want to have a new life in Christ. Scripture says if we come to the Father and we give Him our life, we ask Him to save us, forgive us of our sin, He takes the old things in our life, and he, he washes them out, he flushes them away, and he creates something new in us. So today you can begin that process of walking in him and allowing God to recreate you in his image and to build these things into your life. The appropriate response to the heart that God has for us is for us to offer ours to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we offer our everything to you today. Lord, we offer our everything everything. Lord, teach us not to hold anything back. Lord, challenge us not to hold anything back, because if we hold back, we are not fully in you. We cannot be a fully uh, Christ follower if we're part world, part you. So, Lord, today, whether we've been walking with you for two years or 20 years or no years, We come before you anew today, Lord, and we offer ourselves to you. Take us, change us, mold us, shape us. Make us a reflection of you, a little Christ full of tenderness, full of compassion, full of unity of mind, love for one another, humility. Lord, teach us to be forgiving. Teach us to honor one another and to respect one another. And teach us, Lord, what it means to have the heart of God, the heart of Christ. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've got a couple of gentlemen who are going to take the offering. So uh, why don't would you lead us in an offering prayer? Dick, is that okay? There's a mic right there. Huh? Is that all right? I'm just going to ask you to do that. And, uh, and then we'll continue to worship.